Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Lakers Side Chats. I'm your host as always, Alan Ramich. With me, I've got a first-time guest. If you're a Lakers fan on Twitter, I'm sure you follow him. He's, his knowledge, his insight is second to none on a lot of things from basketball to the sport that we call football in England, to soccer, to um, issues when it comes to sports science, to medical issues. Dr. Raj Bra, welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing today? Not too bad. Thanks for having me. How are you? I am good, thank you. Um, helps that the Lakers won. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's a lot to break down going into game five. Um, I just want to take, I just want to talk about the series in general because uh, by the time this might come out, the Lakers might have already advanced to the conference finals and whatnot. And what have been your biggest takeaways from the series so far? How do you feel about the Lakers' chances going forward? Um, just in general, what, what's been your biggest takeaway so far from this series? Sure. The biggest takeaway by far, and I actually said this before the series started, is that this series is a good test for our versatility. It's the first time where you really have a team obviously committed to quote small ball, where it's something that forces, that may force us to go smaller as well. And so we've seen the team's versatility. The players, the coaches have talked about it all season that the team can play multiple ways. This is the time, first time we've actually really seen it, and it's been done quite well. Obviously, with Keith starting now since Game Three, you're really seeing that difference. And you know, no man's given to, to Javale or Dwight, which doesn't mean that they won't get minutes next round. So the team is really showing what the playoffs is all about. It's all about matchups, but you're also seeing how seamlessly some of these guys are coming in and out. And I think that speech not only to the coaching staff, but also to a lot of the players around the, around the team, not only being ready, but you also have these plug and play roles and that always makes things a lot easier. Oh, uh, we, t- we touched on it a little bit before we started recording, but I, I want to get your opinion on um, just, I don't think anyone apart from the first game, because I think the first game they just mailed it in after realizing they were down by a certain amount and it was insurmountable. I don't think anyone's played particularly badly ever since that point. Um, JaVale's obviously not played that much, so he, in, in spots minutes, I think he was okay. I don't think he was bad. I don't think he was good. But I think he he, he added a little bit, if nothing else. Um, and I think that's been huge for the Lakers. I don't think there's been one consistently bad performer so far. And even when someone started to perform badly, Frank Vogel's not been afraid of benching people. Like like we saw it with Danny Green, he was shooting badly. He was 0 for 3 in game, um, game three. And, you know, he, he he sat him down and he played other people. And it's a testament, like you said, you know, the, the versatility of the Lakers, where where by like a guy that you're paying 15 million a year, you can just sit him down and put someone else in. It, it it's it's been a really awesome sight to see anyway. No, and I absolutely agree with that. Since game one, again, we talked about this. Like, Kuz had a really bad game. Vogel, yeah. had, that, Vogel had that lineup to start the fourth, which um, almost drove me crazy, where it was Rondo with Kuzic <laughs> and LeBron, and LeBron's telling him I need more space, right? So since that moment, so the lead went from 6 to six, six to 17 at that. But since that moment, like you said, since game two, everyone's had a pretty high, high floor, the rest of the time, I'm trying to think of if any standout poor performances, and there really 
aren't any some real turnovers, some really bad turnovers here and there, but there's no overall performance I can point to and be like, oh, that was something that stuck out in my mind. No, and I think um, one of the biggest surprises, and I'm sure everyone's seen it, everyone's commented on it because, you know, it was so surprising. It was so shocking to see after game one. Um, Rashawn Rondo, I just want to get your take on how, what, what do you feel like's happened with Rondo? How has this happened where he's gone from game one, especially offensively? He was so disastrous that first game. And obviously with reason, he was obviously out for such a long time. Um you know, you have to add context to everything. It's not like he just he, he was just performing badly. Obviously, he was out for a long time. But the swing from game one to now game two, three, and four, where even if he hasn't been spectacular in certain games, he's been really solid. Um, he's defensively, I don't think he's been awful, which he was. You know, for the rest for the regular season, whenever he played, um, yeah. Just give me a take on what you think about Rajon Rondo so far. Sure, I think the biggest thing with Rondo, it's all about mental engagement. And so I, I mean, during the regular season, you, you, we kind of see he's just not focused. And so to the point where it's almost like ridiculous, but regardless, he's now honing it in. And like you said, game one was a feel out game for him as it was for the whole team, evidently. And he'd been out for months. And so, you know, you saw he was sloppy, especially on the offensive end, oh, both ends, excuse me. He was very, very sloppy. Some of his passes were sloppy. But then, like you said, in game two, there were definitely some key indicators that you saw that he was improving. He was more locked in. They put him on Harden in the fourth to pressure him as he brought the ball up. That was game two, if I remember correctly. And so that's the first time I've really seen him locked in like that. And even on his rotations. And then game three, of course, you had – he was incredible that game. And then all of that, that was the game where they finally had him – he was hitting those uh, weak side seals to LeBron. He found AD a couple of times. He was aggressive into the lane. And then the cherry on top was he was hitting those threes, right? So if he's hitting his threes, you can't, you can't do anything about it. And as a defense, uh-huh. it's one of those things. It's like the same way we treat Westbrook. If you hit that, you hit that. But evidently, Rondo it has been more reliable than Westbrook has been. And so – and part of that might be – kind of on the side me and my i was having a conversation people were saying what's the difference between westbrook and rondo i said if rondo was a hothead he would he would be westbrook and so rondo has a much better temperament to him when he's not playing well he won't go and force four five six drives or looks right and so that's a big difference just in rondo's mentality but in general we're seeing a just a different mentality from Rondo. He, he's locked in. You know, there's a cliche. You have to be locked in. He's certainly locked in. And you just see it with his sharpness. He's much more decisive in everything he does. And there's even like little details. I put this up on Twitter, but yesterday there was a free throw being shot by Austin Rivers and Cruz was lined up on one side and Westbrook on the other. Rondo came over to him and told him, go line up on the other side because we need you to block out Westbrook, right? So it's those little, little things that he's always – like that's that that detail. And, it, and we were up, I think, 14 at that point, something like that, right? You can see he's constantly thinking and locked in at all times right now. Well, shout-outs to Pete Zayas, who I think made a really – awesome point about Rondo like he always does about basically everything because Pete's like the greatest dude (laughs) um but like the way he said it is it's like Rondo in a playoff series the way Rondo thinks the way his 
body basketball brain works um it's so much more suited for playoff basketball in comparison to uh, just regular season because you're facing the same component game in game out so when you're breaking down tendencies it's huge when you can when you know exactly what's going to happen game in game out especially with a team like houston who i don't think adjusts at all they just play exactly the same way regardless um, it's really easy for people like Rondo, like LeBron, these guys with super high basketball IQs to be able to break down the Houston Rockets and what exactly what they do on a basketball court. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's an extension of the coaching staff that he can, but he can actually apply the lessons quickly on the floor. Mm-hmm. Whereas other, other players, it might take them even a half or a game to be like, oh, this is what I need to change, right? Rondo is seeing it and applying it immediately, which then expedites that adaptation process, right? And so in a playoff series where it's all about margins, if you can adapt quicker, you're going to have a better chance to win. And so you're seeing that with him. And I think part of that is, like we talked about earlier, was like in game three, Braun being able to seal on the wheat side, right? They're both, and LeBron is like Rondo in that sense as well, right? They adapt really, really quickly to what they're seeing. So when you have two of those guys doing that, it, again, it just expedites the whole process for the team. And I think it helps AD, who does tend to need a little more time to figure out what's happening around him. Definitely. And um, I just before we move on to LeBron and AD, I just want to get your opinion on um, James Harden. We touched on a little bit before we start recording, and the difference, um, like the antithesis between him and Alex Caruso. Um, I just want I just want to get your two cents and just let you talk about that because I thought that was a really really interesting point you brought up, and I think it's well worth making on a public format as well. Yeah, sure. I mean, we talked about it. It's just about mentality, right? What we fail to realize, what we often don't consider in a playoff series is the human element. We look at the data, you know, we look at the stats, we look at how things look on paper, but what we don't realize is that how mentality can come into play, right? Who are the type of guys who don't feel pressure, who are actually, who meet the moment? Like Crusoe had a quote today. He said, I'm not afraid to miss, right? So it's a different mentality. And with Caruso, he's come from, I hate to say the word nothing, but he's come from, you know, much, much lower tier. He's worked his way. He's grinded his way to this point. So you have a guy who's always been rising to the challenge and trying to meet it, right? That's not saying Harden didn't work his way. That's not what I'm trying to say. But we have seen in the past with Harden, it's where when things get tough, he does tend to, defer and not play well i mean look at game seven of the last series and that's just that's been a consistent theme throughout for hard and look at 2018 with the chris paul team versus the warriors the reason why chris paul ended up getting hurt very likely is just game five and game six he took over playmaking duties because harden couldn't do anything right and What's a big uh, risk factor for injury? It's increased workload and increased intensity. So CP3 was handling the ball all at game five and six, ended up popping his hamstring, right? So you have all these downstream effects. And to me, it always comes back to how do guys react to pressure? And also, it's also the other thing is how do guys react to you taking away their key strengths, right? That's what playoff basketball was about. 
Bob Myers, there's been some clips on Bob Myers recently on Twitter. I don't know if you saw these today. He's talking about the difference between playoffs and regular season. He said the big thing in the playoffs is the team is going to take away your main strengths, right? So you need guys who have a diversity of strengths. And then the game is officiated differently. Harden has a couple key strengths. He relies on officiating. So if they're changing all that, you then have a player who's not going to be as effective. No, definitely. And I think that's a awesome, awesome point to bring up. And like you said, I think it's two different games that you play when it pertains to regular season postings, like what Bob Myers said as well. It literally is two different. It's a different sport when you get to the postseason. Like the intensity, the way that people prepare. I think it's a really, really, really great, great point that you bring up there with Harden. And obviously it's not discounting his greatness at all because, you know, I think James Harden is a magnificent player and a guy who would undoubtedly be in the Hall of Fame. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins another MVP. Um, but like you said, the mentality of it and the way he looks to defer, especially with Westbrook not being um, in his prime, I wouldn't say anymore. Um, he's definitely on the downswing at the moment. Um, you know, so I think what, especially looking to defer in a situation like that, and then obviously having no traditional center, which again, sometimes helps because it can bail you out at times with, um, not, not, it's different when you have like a person like AD, who's a guy who can do everything at the four slash five spot. Yeah. It's ridiculous. He's, um, but just having a guy who can get an extra offensive rebound now and then can help. And we've seen with the Rockets, especially with the Lakers tightening up the rotations and playing with more intensity in the latter game, they've been killing Houston on the rebounds. And I think that's a, that's a huge disadvantage for the Rockets because if you basically, it's one shot and you're done, if you get a bad shot, that, that, that puts you in such a bad spell because the Lakers in transition, I think, are the best team in the NBA. So when you have a locked-in Lakers team, who I also think defensively, when they're locked in, especially rotationally, I think rotations defensively are beautiful. I think the only team that rivals them is Miami. I really do. I think that, that's how good the Lakers' rotations are defensively. It's very, very difficult to perform in that type of environment as well. You know, so credit to the Lakers for making it hard on him. But at the same time, I feel like the, the, as as positive as the system is and it allows him to be a very free, I think it also restricts him in a way wherein by not having some traditional principles that you usually have as a star player sometimes hinders him at times as well, like we're seeing, because like getting out rebounded 52-26 in a game is ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, three things to add to that. One, I think the rebound battle has been due to obviously the Lakers increasing their focus there, but also Rockets' main rebounder, Tucker, he's tired. He's dead tired. And he was their main – he was sneak in for a few, mm -hmm. right, in the first three games. It didn't happen in game four. You can tell he's just, I mean, he's, it wears on you. And that's always been a big criticism for me of small ball. You're asking these guys to do a lot for a long period of time. And it's not easy, right? These guys aren't like, there's like, there's no, uh, you can't turn fatigue sliders off. So guys get really, really tired. And then back to Harden, of course, I think the other, the thing that makes him much easier to guard, he doesn't. His movement once he gives off the, up the ball is non-existent. He'll he'll literally just stand there and he won't go and chase the ball again, even if it's end of the clock, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can take him out of the play after he gives the ball up. 
And and the last thing is the guy who actually tried to, to have him break those habits, CP3 got shipped out because Harden didn't like to hear that. So that we no, went definitely. back to you went back to mentality. You talked about Miami. What does Jimmy Butler always say? He said, I want guys who hold me accountable, right? There was one guy willing to hold Harden accountable. And he said, no, I'm going to ship you out. Let me get my friend Westbrook in here. Well, I think it's an awesome point that you bring up there, you know, and and people have been very surprised about Miami's um, sort of ascension into like being an elite team. I think the rumblings, um, I know it's not on the Lakers, but you did, we did touch on Miami there a little bit. And Mm. like you said, having guys who were just, willing to buy in i know i know that there was a the, the corny spell at the start of the season which feels like it was like five years ago now um because of this whole covid mess and you know the pandemic everyone's going through and then obviously the situation in california at the moment's not rosy and so everything feels like it was ages ago um but like the 3 a.m waking up and the teammates and i think it translates back going back to the lakers like the chemistry in that heat locker room seems to be awesome the same thing with the lakers where by if you have the right coaching staff the right players obviously you need talent having chemistry and no talent you know it doesn't matter how good the chemistry is there's always going to be a certain ceiling but when you have a player like a jimmy butler in miami and then you have the likes of Dragic and at the bio and Kendrick Nunn at the start of the season, Duncan Robinson, the same with the Lakers, where you have LeBron and AD as the Alphas, and then you have the likes of Kuz, who I think has been phenomenal, um, barring that one game at the start of this series, and, you know, uh, KCP and Caruso, and then adding the likes of Markeith Morris at the buyout, I think was just such an excellent move by Rob Palinka. You know, I think there's a lot of similarities when you look at both teams there and you can sort of see why both are so successful in the postseason as they are at the moment, because I feel like, you know, I feel like the Rockets are on their last leg. So I feel like this series will be over very soon. Um, so it, it's it's a very interesting point when you bring up like I, I, just, I just did it, you know, just thinking about the rotation, but I think about the mentality wise from Miami as well. It's very interesting to see just how similar sometimes, you know, having that type of chemistry in a team, it works and it helps when you get into the postseason, especially in a bubble environment like we're in at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's by design, by both like Riley's never he's never he's always been a no-nonsense guy, mm-hmm. but he wants guys who who don't see criticism as a personal thing. He wants guys who take the honesty as okay. Let me work on that, right? And so not obviously not a lot of guys are like them. You had Ben Simmons upset about a, a text that Butler sent calling him out, right? Like you had Cat who God, I mean, I don't want to say too much about Cat considering what he's been through recently, but just in general, right? It's just you know, you have these mentalities where guys don't want that honesty from people. They want to kind of they they take it as like and they shy away from it. And so even like, you know, Kobe's always said that you need an irritant in the locker room. And he, he explicitly mentioned Draymond Green, right? Like Draymond would be perfect in these locker rooms. You want someone who always holds the players accountable. And sometimes it's going to be annoying, but you need that, especially during the grind of a season. No, precisely. And just to go back to the, you know, because I think that was a beautiful point that, we, that you just made. Um, just I want to touch on before we finish recording and before we move on, um, just how awesome 
AD and LeBron have been this series because I think it gets lost how good they've been, but at the same time, how efficient they've been as well. And I'm sure you'll touch on it as well, but AD is, I think he's literally unguardable, like with any team in the NBA. No, I agree with that. If AD is hitting his mid-range, you can't guard him. It's it's impossible because if you play up on him when he's facing up, he has the skill set to get by. He has the counters. He has the ability to finish. He, he what you're showing, what you're seeing now, he's also showing the ability to draw fouls. Last night was ridiculous. I mean, he was almost like Harden level popping line. He was falling on everything, and they were giving him the calls. But he's showing he's showing that he's adapting in all regards. And, he, and he's showing a little bit of a penchant also to hit threes as well. So mm-hmm. he can score from all levels. He can score in multiple ways. And I think what we're also seeing now is as LeBron and Rondo start to handle the ball, he's becoming more confident finding those little pockets where he has mm-hmm. an advantage. I never really liked the post-ups with AD where it's just that one-on-one. I think we get really, really stagnant. I think he's devastating when you can play him as a second. It's crazy. You can play him as your second best player attacking <laughs> rotation, right? That, that, like, that's a joke. If you're going to, if when he's attacking a moving off, when he's attacking off the move, he's almost impossible to stop. Oh, and it's just, I think he's the only big guy because I, I classed, you know, the four and five now, I think is very interchangeable in the NBA, especially when you get more players like Anthony Davis coming in and, you know, Paul Zingius and whatnot. Um, when you have a big guy like AD who can attack off the dribble like he can, it becomes a point like you don't know who to put on him because if you put fours on him, and we've seen it with PJ Tucker, whereas he might be able to keep up with him laterally and quickness-wise, AD's strength and his height, it doesn't matter. Like He just rises above him and shoots and scores, especially with how good his Madrid jump shot's been. Like you said, it's just... and But then you put a five on him, and he's too quick for the five. So there's no one who can actually guard him. But I think the biggest point that you made, which I think is an awesome, the fact that he's nine times out of ten going to be the second best player on the court behind LeBron James in most situations is such a luxury for the Lakers to have. And I think it just speaks to the absurdity of LeBron James as well. <laughs> oh, 100%. I mean, 100%. Like you saw, honestly, game three, that first half, the team should have been down 14, 15 points easily. That's how bad the defense was defensively. I mean, it was terrible. It was extremely poor. He, whether he sensed it or not, he realized, I don't you know, he has that ability to understand, have a knack for when the team needs to pick him up. And he came out and he had that 29-point first, first half, right? And so, I mean, it's so easy. It's become so normalized. You forget how good LeBron is. And then he'll have these games that remind you. And again, it's just like, oh, he had like last night, it was like, what did he have? Like 18, 15, and nine. And it's just like, oh, yeah, okay. crazy like, stop mine. And then you're like, oh, I wish, I, how come we didn't need a triple double? Like that, that's become the like, the litmus for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's how good oh, he is. He the game in so many ways. And you're starting to see him become more, either become more, I don't even want to say confident. I feel like he has this crazy ability where it's like, he he is comfortable with certain skills, but he doesn't show them all. You're like like last night he did the one footed uh, fade away off one foot, right? Like the fade in the mid range, and you haven't seen that all year from him. But he did it with such fluidity, where it's like you know he's been working on it. 
But it's like he's like he's still saving certain things for the playoffs. And that's how incredible he is. And that's a testament to not to his talent that he can get by without even showcasing his full array of skills until the Western, you know, until essentially he's going to need to do it in the Western conference final versus the Clippers. Right. He's going to need everything for him. But it's, he has like this plan in place. It's why he's has longevity. He has this plan in place for everything that he does, whether it's mental, physical fitness, whether it's okay, these are certain skills I want to work on and show off right now. Now I'm going to open up the package a little bit as we move in deeper into the playoffs, right? And it's just incredible to watch him. And like you said, having AD as a second best player is, you know, it's almost unfair at times. (laughs) And and it, it, it gives you a lot of confidence because like even in a series with the Clippers where in like, I think that will be an awesome series and I think it's going to go six or seven games and it's going to be a dog fight because I feel like these teams were built for each other. That that It just seems that yeah. way. They were literally built to face each other. Um, I think having basically two of the three best players every single night, you know, sorry, Paul George, um, but at the same time, having those two and then quite possibly on some nights you have the two best players on the court because I, I don't see LeBron taking anywhere close to having a, a sort of a night off type performance against the Clippers because he knows how much it means. Um, it, it's going to be a phenomenal, it's going to be a fascinating watch. And, that, and I'm very excited for it as well, because like you said, the nuances in the game where like LeBron's now starting to whip out stuff from his arsenal that he hasn't used in like two years, it, it, it's phenomenal to see it really is. Oh yeah, it's gonna, I mean, it's been building toward it all year. And so some people have said, oh, I don't want to play them. You know, I see him, I see it as you, you gotta, you gotta beat them. If you want to win a championship, whoever wins that series, I, I can't even call it. I don't know. It's there's too, there's so many variables that go into it. Whoever wins that series will deserve to win the series. That's the thing about a seven game series between two top tier teams. Of course I want the Lakers to win. Right. But if you, if you know, if the Clippers beat you four times or you beat them four times there, you can't say anything except you tip your cap and say, Hey, I respect that. Right. Unless it's like a game seven, it comes down to like something crazy at the end. Hello. Yeah. Still here. Oh, good. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll edit that part out. Um, so if you just want to continue again uh, from where you left off, like, you know, where you said, like, you just have to tip your cap and then I'll just edit this part out. Sure. Because you just caught yeah, so me. If you lose to a, a team four times, unless it comes down to, like, some crazy balance in game seven or whatever it is, you tip your cap to them and, and, you, and you say, hey, you, you know, you beat us fair and square, right? So it's going to be an incredible series. Uh, so just to round things up, um, I just want to get your final, um, your final takeaway from this series and how realistically, I know you said you can't really call the, the Clippers series, um, but I just wanted to get your takeaway on, um, what, what your belief is. Let's say we win game five tomorrow evening, cause we are recording this on the Friday, um, 
how realistically, you know, knowing what you know about the playoffs, how the Lakers have been playing, uh, how far do you see the Lakers going? Because I'm, I'm, I know it's difficult with the Clippers coming up because, like you said, there's so many variables in that series. But I still want to get your opinion on it. Oh, man, put me on the spot. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think that series, I mean, like you said, goes six or seven. I think I think it just goes seven. And what really concerns me, honestly, it's not even – what concerns me is, is Kawhi's shot making down the stretch. You can play perfect defense on him. And he hits tough shots. That's scary down the stretch. And then, of course, to me, again, I haven't really watched them that closely. But just, you know, the the, the sight of Lou gets me scared a little bit, especially against our perimeter defense. Mm-hmm. Montrez in the middle of the defense. But then again, what gives me confidence is, you know, we handled them pretty well that last weekend. And that was like a playoff game for both, like, you know, both teams were giving it their all, right? So I have to believe. With LeBron turning it up, if he has another level to hit, that's what's going to carry you. Danny hasn't even played well offensively that well. You're, you're going to need contributions from from everyone. I, I think I do. If I ha- if I had to, I would say Lakers in six or seven. If I had to say that. Oh, that 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 that's where I'm leaning at the moment. But like you said, like you know, we can say what if we want about Kawhi. Um, he didn't obviously didn't join the Lakers last summer. And, you know, that was very well, you know, documented and whatnot. But the guy's a top three player in the game. Uh, he, like you said, the way he just hits difficult shots in crunch time, it's, it's, it's if a game's close, he's like the last person you want to see on the court. You know, he's, he's definitely one of those guys. He, he's a one where you just, you just like, hope he misses like you shout at the tv and, and yell miss and you just hope he that's it that's all you can really do because nothing really bothers him although cruz bothered him and during the restart game no he, he did really really well i take that back he did actually defend him really well so again there's like I'm, it's almost like I'm, I'm there's so much pressure it's hard for me to objectively quantify it but there's also <laughs> some, you know, there's all these indicators right that hey you know we we might play them really, really well, better than I think. And so I'm, I'm, I tend to be a pessimist at heart, maybe to not get my own expectations up. And so, but I know, I mean, yeah, if, like I said, it's, it's a fascinating series for sure. We'll see how Paul George responds him. The fans not being there definitely help him. Definitely. And, um, Raj, I do want to thank you for coming on. I feel like, you know, this has been a great, great talk that we've had. But before I let you go, um, I spring this on every guest. I don't tell them I'm going to ask it because I just All want right. that honest emotion. Um, so every every guest I've had on, every new guest, and obviously ever since the passing of Kobe Bryant, mm-hmm. I've asked for their favorite Kobe moment. It doesn't have to be a basketball one. It can just be something that, you know, has resonated with you for a long time. Um, so, oh, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to bring that on you. Um, easy, you know, easy. I feel like two, two of them, same, <laughs> same concept. I think I don't know if it was a Kobe. Kobe said this, or Palenka said it, but he was saying there was one time Kobe was going shark diving, and he saw how the shark was attacking the prey, like the angles it was taking, and then Kobe took that and then tried to apply it on the court. Saying, and then I think his rationale was like the shark has done, has evolved to attack prey with angles, right? 
So why wouldn't I use that knowledge from the shark and apply it to my own game? Because really it's a geometry game in the end, right? So he's, to, and the reason why it resonated with me, to me, intellect is being able to take things from different spheres. Imagine you said to someone, oh yeah, I watched Shark Week and now I'm trying to get better at basketball with it, right? <laughs> what are you talking about? Kobe's like, oh, I understand. I, I know what you mean. And that was one. And the other one was, uh, he talked about, he saw, I think he saw like a jaguar jumping and using its tail to balance itself while jumping. And so he applied that on his fadeaway with where he kicked his legs. And so that always resonated with me, just his ability to look at different things and apply them into his craft. And we saw that even after he retired, right? He took all these different elements and put them kind of into his storytelling. No, and, and I think those those are two that obviously I, I know the stories and stuff, but two that you know you never really hear. You know, when someone talks about their favorite Kobe moments, so it's a, they're very awesome ones, though. You know, like it's very different to it's what you usually get. And you know, I'm I'm glad you you shared that with us. And just before we do wrap things up, where can the good people find you and your great work? Because there is a ton of it out there. Yeah, my wife said there's too much of it. Um, <laughs> you can find me on um, social media. It's 3CB Performance, 3 Charlie Beta Performance. That's whether it's on Instagram. I'm on Twitter a lot, obviously. And then uh, I have a YouTube channel as well. So I've been doing a lot of stuff recently with Silver Screen Roll, kind of going through some of little details and stuff that I see. And it's you know usually trying to incorporate. I have a lot of a coaching, coaching background, so I try to use that. Then I also try to kind of just point out certain skills and mechanics you might not pick up somewhere else. So that's kind of just what I'm going for. Well, uh, I think this has been an, a brilliant talk and I can only thank you again for coming on. I've really enjoyed this chat that we've had. Likewise, man. I look forward to the next one. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thank you to everyone listening. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. Be sure to find all of Raj's work. He does a fantastic, fantastic job with everything that he does. Stay safe, everyone. Take care.